Hello, everybody. This is the Radical Therapist Podcast. I am Dr. Chris Hoff, and we are now at episode number 92. And today we're talking about magical realism and narrative therapy with Sonia Baram. And very excited about that. And it's uh, it was a great conversation. I think you'll get a ton out of it. Uh, but before we get there, one quick announcement. I just recently did a webinar for a bunch of people. Thank you, everybody that showed up. Uh, on the title was therapist to consultant. It was basically a webinar on how you might take your mental relational health skills into the workplace uh, because there is a big need for that right now. Uh, and it is work that I've done uh, for several years now. So I did a little webinar to maybe give you some ideas about how to do that. And the webinar is now up at the radical therapist YouTube uh, page. So if you want to check it out, um, free webinar, just go, you know, it's a, like 50 minutes long. And, it, and just, I think uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback about it, about being helpful to people that might be interested or curious about what that might look like, taking your skills, knowledge, wisdom into the workplace. So check that out, Radical Therapist YouTube channel. And of course, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you're listening at this from. And please, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Uh, and so, yeah, so let's get to right to our guest, Sonia Baram. Sonia is an experienced family therapist residing in Adelaide, Australia. She's been learning, practicing, and teaching about, ha about how to have conversations with people in a wide variety of settings and in ways that can be most helpful to them in their lives. She notices how conversations are guided by narrative and invitational therapy can undermine harmful problems and their effects. Sonia has experience working privately and in non-government agency sectors and specializes working in specialized family violence counseling and with child sex childhood sexual abuse and sexual assault survivors. She has authored several papers in the field and is on the editorial board of the Australian and New Zealand Family Therapy Journal. And if you look in the show notes, uh, there are some links to some upcoming workshops that Adelaide Narrative, uh, the Adelaide Narrative Therapy Collective will be doing. So without further ado, let's meet Sonia. All right. Welcome to the Radical Therapist, Sonia. Thank you, Chris. Uh, it's great to have you here. I, I appreciate you making the time. And I guess I, I want to start by just maybe asking kind of a bit of your history. How how did you come into this therapy world? How did you discover narrative practice? And yeah. and then also yeah. maybe how you became interested in uh, the uh, magical realist literature. Yeah, thanks for the question. I guess... Um... Uh, I guess being living in Adelaide is a happy accident. So because uh, Michael White um, was one half of the narrative um, beginnings and that began here in Adelaide. However, my journey is a little bit uh, parallel to those beginnings in the sense that I left Adelaide. I was born here, but I left Adelaide in my 20s. And I went to work overseas. And as a lot of um, people do, there's a little bit of a brain drain, um, they call it. Um, and I went to work in Europe and in Israel and other places. And I was working as a journalist. And then I came back to Adelaide um, and started a family, had a family, and uh was wondering, as sometimes women do when they're pregnant, what I was going to do for the rest of my life. 
So I enrolled in a university counselling master's. And in that master's in, Adel in Adelaide, um, I was exposed to narrative therapy. I was introduced to narrative therapy and realised that it was here in Adelaide. And I thought, oh, that's a bit interesting. Mm -hmm. um, but I guess my real, um, uh, like, ex um, the, the, the moment that really drew me, drew me into therapy was actually a family therapy course. So the rest of the counselling courses were quite individualised. It was, um, it was you know, based on, it was Rogerian style. They were teaching and other bits and pieces. But when I got into um, a family therapy course, which run by Maria Shikitano, who is a family therapist at the Women's and Children's Hospital here, she used to work with Michael in the very early days when Michael White used to work um, at the Women's and Children's. And there was something about the relational models, the systems vision, the, um, the uh, exposure to the um, and naming the pressures that families are under, which is not of their own individual making. So I thought, wow, what is this? And I, and I kind of don't... Uh, dove right in or dive right in for um, at that uh, point and at that point this was in 2007 so it was the year uh, before Michael White died and um, I was fortunate enough also to land a job with United Communities mm. um, which is uh, a not-for-profit and um, really on the team which was about family therapy and relationships and really specialised work in specialised family violence and childhood sexual abuse. So I was really quite early on uh, alongside my study in that pointy end of, of the work. And on that particular team, they studied a lot of um, narrative work and we studied with at Dulwich. I studied at Dulwich in the beginning. And then I was introduced to, um, I'll take a bit of a breath now. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I was introduced very quickly to um, people like Alan Jenkins, yeah, yeah. who's a psychologist here around invitational practices. Um Maggie Carey, Shona Russell and Rob Hall. And this was in 2008. So that was shortly after Michael White had died. Before he died, he um, had left Dulwich mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and set up this new practice. And um, so I was very quickly introduced and studied with Maggie and Shona and Rob and Alan from the very beginning of their practice, their new practice, and, um, and kind of came in on the tail end of that, um, of, of um, the changeovers, I suppose. Um, yeah, and I just kind of loved it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. Um, excuse me. You, uh, I discovered you through an article you wrote around, yeah. you know, um, uh, working with psychotic content and using a magical mm -hmm. realist lens. And I, 
You you write that a magical realist listening position supports a non-pathologizing, helpful, and meaningful exploration of psychotic content, like hearing voices, mm-hmm. hallucinations, thoughts, etc. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how it does this, or you know, and maybe give a, if you could give our listeners a little bit of history about or what is magical realism. <laughs> yeah, I suppose um, so. I because I in a relationship family therapy context. We do see people presenting with extreme mental health, but not um, when I yeah when I was seeing some clients, they would often say they're on such and such medication, or they were reporting um, they had a psychiatrist, um, and they were dealing with some of the episodes that they might have reported to a psychiatrist or to a, a mental health hospital um, separately, separately to the um, a lot of the stuff that was going on in their lives, um, the extreme abuse, maybe um, poverty, maybe uh, family breakdown, maybe addiction, lots of lots of different things. And I I found that there was not a lot of literature from a counselling point of view to be able to understand and how to listen to um, mental health presentations of the extreme kind. And also with my work with childhood sexual abuse clients, there's a lot of uh, work in the literature, in the psychiatric lit- literature around disassociation. Um, and I, But I started to see this in the counselling room and there wasn't a lot of support for family therapists or, or in who are not in the med, in the mental health sector um, to sit with a client who's describing stuff who's maybe not connecting with me in the room or is beginning to stare out of the window or maybe re- retreat into themselves mm-hmm. or maybe get up and kind of enact stuff. So there was that. And then there was also um, perhaps some kind of valuing of stories that we would like to do in narrative, valuing of stories that give alternate explanations or alternative meanings. And so with our Indigenous populations, um, of which I'm speaking from Ghana land, with with our Indigenous Aboriginal populations, there's a lot of conversation about spirit, about land, about um, uh, other forces that are uh, unknowable to to me, and and so and also I've noticed that uh, clients are reporting being disbelieved mm. by the mental health system that's supposed to there to help them. So I had been simultaneously reading um, Isabella Landay's work um, and um, the House of Spirits or other things um, by the and um, Gabriela Garcia um, Marquez. I'm going to pronounce these incorrectly. I'm sorry. Um, and I had been reading of the way that there's simultaneously this a realistic life that people, the characters are. Uh, moving through and that's narrated and there's also events in their lives like seeing butterflies um, coming from the heavens or um, like levitating and and I thought wow this is these are just these are things that I'm hearing about you know in the counseling room and so I then got right into magical realist literature and I tried to understand how 
it just kind of spoke to me as an alternative narrative um, to some of the very strong medicalized, you know, indoctrinated and 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 strongly systemic narratives that um, that um, people who are sorry, okay. people who are experiencing mental health, yeah, I will move him if that's okay. Okay, sure. Oh, <laughs> okay, so I think you know, narrative has quite a lot of. Um, I guess themes or, or guiding sentences like the person is never the problem, the problem is the problem, or the people are experts in their own lives. And what I found from magical realism literature and the kind of the um, uh, the, lit- the literary critique around magical realism was this line saying suspend disbelief. Magical realism invites us to suspend disbelief, Mm -hmm. which is quite different to suspending belief or not believing or believing. And I think, you know, we're hoping for clients to be believed. That's what they're asking for. So if I can suspend my disbelief of an account of, um, of, walking the streets or seeing visions or hallucinations or smelling things which is you know or hearing voices if I can suspend any disbelief that I have and put that aside then I'm feel that I'm I'm hopefully more open to receiving uh the person's narrative yeah yeah absolutely um You've also written about uh, what I think many new therapists and maybe like um, experienced therapists struggle with, and that is uh, the idea that psychotic content is a no-go zone, that um, yeah. or uh, rather than a chance for maybe meaning making. And I, I'm wondering if you could say more about that. Yeah, I was really struck by that. Um, I did a little bit of work in um, open dialogue, actually, Mm. with a mental health peer, mental health support service. And when I went and spoke to them and their workers and I was uh, doing some family therapy sessions in an open dialogue uh, way with other therapists, I was kind of curious about the way that they worked in that organisation. And I said, do you actually ask clients who are also peers who are also experienced mental health about um about your own experiences or their experiences and so all the workers are are employed because they have experienced mental health um uh episodes or or difficulties or mental illness uh, i should say um and they said, no, they don't talk about, they don't share. There was not a culture of sharing their experiences. So I thought, wow, this is really quite damaging in an organisational setting that's meant to be receiving and peer-to-peer support um, or giving peer-to-peer support. Um, yeah, so I think that I think that magical realist listening position can, um, can protest a whole lot of superstructures that our clients are held into around um, and and that um, mental health, uh, um, I guess expressions of mental illness are medicalised uh, within those superstructures, hospitalised, 
medicated and yet they're also at the boundary of human creativity and and human spirit and human stories and I think that boundary is something that I'm exploring and magical realism allowing me to suspend my disbelief will um, give a space to express for clients to express those stories so yeah wonderful um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, when I was reading your work, I thought about, you know, just this lens, adopting this lens and how helpful it can be. And I know you wrote an article around uh, kind of a first episode of, of psychosis, but I'm wondering if there's way, if you, if you think about the ways of listening that can be this way of listening that can be adopted kind of with all kinds of problems or not even problems just to, but problems that our mental health systems seem to regulate folks to a medical style of care right and yeah. I'm, I'm wondering I'm, I may be thinking about spirituality I'm thinking about even my own um, yeah. imaginations yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? So, yeah. Right. creative stories yeah, yeah. Right, absolutely right. or meaning making around your life which is not a normal um, maybe not an even linear chronology right right? so I was thinking about that in preparation to an interview and it just so happens that I had a client a couple of weeks ago who is an older client has been medicated and as a result which he says is his medication is experiencing waking dreams Hmm. and so he he's kind of waking up and he's seeing visions of people trying to attack him pirates soldiers and he was incredibly frightened by this experience Mm. um and it was just in that space between waking up and being fully awake or sleeping dreaming that's that state which um yeah and so he uh uh and and i asked him like when he would just be describing this to his doctor what was the response that he would get? And he was, oh, no, people would keep shutting me down, wanting to send me to a psychiatrist, wanting to adjust my medication. Um, And this man is in his 70s, right? Um, And so the risk of of people in that is for them to be classed as developing Alzheimer's or, you know, the movement in our culture straight to homes uh, is really problematic and frightening for a lot of people. So, yeah, I was just able to sit with him and listen to him describing these characters and and what that meant to him, him and what he thinks it means. And he has had his medication adjusted. So um, the, they he described that as just being a result of medication, which needs to be talked about. If that is, if that is a symptom of medication, mm-hmm. you know, we uh, we really need to hear about that, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I've always uh, been interested in Michael White's work around liminal space and rites yes. of passage, yeah. and I know you as yeah. well, and um, yeah. and how often these thresholds can be significant periods of confusion and disorientation mm-hmm. and, at times, despair and desperation. That's a quote from Michael. Uh, you have written that a magical realist reading may aid mapping a client's narrated content along the separation, uh, liminal and convergent mm-hmm. phases of a, a kind of rite of passage metaphor. And I'm wondering if you could say more, because I think a lot, I've been saying this a lot to the people, at least in our clinic, that a lot of our work really mm-hmm. is walking alongside folks as they move into liminal yeah. space. 
and yeah. uh, this this way of uh, listening, yeah. this uh, this position, this position, I think, is really really helpful. And I'm wondering if you could say more about that. Yeah. Okay. So more about um, the liminal space. Uh, wow, it's so interesting and so complex, actually. I think, and mm. and these days, what I'm doing is overlaying actually the liminal map the rite of passage map with a um, landscape of identity a landscape of action map if you're familiar with that from michael so you can actually with great patience um (laughs) and with a with a client who's receptive or in, in your team kind of overlay those maps a little bit um because in a liminal space we are talking about concept and imagination obviously people are imagining their future selves they haven't got there yet we can't it's hard to walk alongside in a sense that because sometimes we as therapists or experienced people listening to to experienced um, stories of moving through liminal spaces it's hard to preempt a person's journey so sometimes using that imagination if for example, maybe it's mental health, but maybe it's even um, escaping domestic violence. Mm-hmm. So somebody, a woman or somebody who's going to escape domestic violence is going to take a lot of steps out of a violent situation before she does the final step. So um, that is always a back and forth. And she can't quite imagine her life because of the indoctrination and the brainwashing of the violence and abuse she can never imagine herself outside of that she can never imagine herself beyond that because of the um extreme um yeah i I suppose brainwashing that that does to the mind that keeps her always vigilant so so using a, a um rite of passage metaphor allows me to invite her to imagine what it might be like and then how she might get there. And she may be stuck on, um, um, you know, or or people with with mental health may be stuck on the idea that they have to live with depression um, forever or there are times when maybe they can imagine in a rite of passage that depression would not be present. And that Mm. may be times in their dreams um, and so to express their dreaming self or their, um, their um, yeah, their other conscious selves, mm-hmm. um, what, what is that like and what can that speak to in the real uh, day-to-day world? So that doesn't sound very uh, linear. I'm sorry about that. Okay. It doesn't sound like a, 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 a packaged answer, but I guess it's a matter of taking that, rite of passage is a guide and know that it is a process and there is time that can stretch out and when uh, somebody is quite in the present which is what the psychiatric system and the medical system will approach a person like in the present what's happening what are you feeling you know what are your symptoms have they come back have they so they're always captured in the present Mm. if we have a conversation that can stretch out time and involve other parts of their imagination, their psyche, their dreaming consciousness, um, their their histories, their um, legends from their culture, their stories from their culture, their um, 
the um, uh, uh, favorite books, you know. So one of my favorite books personally is um, the um, Ursula Le Guin Wizard series. And so that kind of, there's a rite of passage there. Uh, So a lot of things can evoke and stretch out time and then we can help people create narratives. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, uh, f- for those that uh, that might want to adopt uh, this li- this kind of listening position from a magical realist lens, how would they go about doing that, or what what advice might you offer? Or... Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that yeah yeah. So that idea of suspending disbelief. Mm-hmm. If people can think a little bit about that, that would be a first. Like, what does it take for me? to not jump to, as a practitioner, what does it take for me to hold back not believing somebody? Mm-hmm. And and I've noticed actually one of the reasons why this came out was some of my the practitioners that I was teaching at um, Uniting Communities, the new practitioners, would say things, and sometimes students would say things like, oh, "I don't, I don't know if I believe this person. Right, right. I don't know if they're telling the like, what is the truth here? How do I know?" And so, if we can step back from that and say, "Well, can you put ideas of truth aside and ideas of belief aside?" It's not up to us as practitioners to believe a client. We're working with whatever the the story is that the client is coming to us in a very, very small um, piece of time. And I only have that, that piece of time with, and that space with my client. So if the client wishes to tell me a story, which may not be true in somebody else's eyes, but it's true for them, who am I to say, to, to disbelieve them? That would be, um, a very, as Michael would say, like um, a very centred um, position as a counsellor, mm-hmm. but we want to be decentered, but influential. We don't mm-hmm. want to be centred and influential uh, because then if I was centred and centering my own sense of what's right or what's not right or what's truth, then I'm that might lead me to be telling the client that, you know, are they sure asking questions or are you sure about that or give, is there any evidence for that? And that's a very, uh, those sorts of evidence seeking um, questions are very much part of our medical um, psychiatric system, unfortunately. But I don't need the client to provide evidence for their dream or evidence for their psychosis. I, as a narrative therapist, I'm wanting to hear the story about that. Mm -hmm. And hear what that means. And then we can connect that maybe to events that happened, you know, the landscape of action, mm-hmm. the landscape of identity. Mm-hmm. We can connect that to events that might have happened in their childhood or things that they can't reconcile. So, yeah, that particular client, for example, that I wrote about, she, yeah, was really troubled with abortion and a child, the loss of children, and she had also subsequently experienced a a loss of a of of um, uh, a child, and so her whole psyche was wrapped around understanding and making meaning of these events for years and years and years. Um, and where the mind 
has complications of that, it's going to kind of check out if it can't reconcile, I think, I believe, if the mind cannot reconcile events in people's lives, whether that be abuse or child loss or awful devastation, um, it, it, it's going to use very imaginative ways of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And that might mean having hallucinations. It, it might mean being able to write a novel, um, being able to imagine a story. So the mind is going to, is actually, you know, wondrous in these creative ways, in ways that our current culture doesn't allow it to be. Oh, great. Okay. Last question for you. And thank you for all of this, Sonia. Um, uh, it's a question I always like to ask all our guests. And that is like, what ideas or books, films, etc. What's capturing your attention these days? Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, yeah, wow. Uh, so I have teenagers and they are into Japanese mm-hmm. <laughs> things. So all of that manga and all of that, that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, video games. I have been reading Ursula Le Guin. So anybody who wants to read should only read The Great Mistress of Science Fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's my fairy godmother. <laughs> Not really, but yeah. Um, so yeah. So um, so every time I read her, she's very. She speaks to me. Um, I uh, I've also been. I guess in a therapy field, I've been very interested in um, space and time. Mm. So you might get a little bit more from me around space and time and how that might fold against each other Mm. so i've been thinking about these sorts of things and um this is a bit strange but because i'm so excited about it um i'm going to throw it in there but i'm i've discovered archery wonderful so i (laughs) yeah i shoot a bow and arrow and i really enjoy it wonderful Quite meditative, I think, too, probably. Right? It is, yeah. yeah. You, you must focus, otherwise you'll miss the target. Yeah, so. yeah wonderful. <laughs> okay. Uh, if I have actually one more question. If people yeah. want to find you or find your work or what have you, how do they do that? Yeah, so I'm I'm a bit of an intermittent writer, I'm afraid. <laughs> I do a lot of work um, editing um, and reviewing articles for the Australian and New Zealand Journal of Family Therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have since left Uniting Communities and we now have a small practice called Adelaide Narrative Therapy Collective. Hmm. So they can find me at www.adelaidenarrative.com. Great. Um, and you'll be able to find me there. So, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. All right, Sonia, yeah. thank you very much. And I, I really appreciate that and um, uh, yeah, making the time. You. Yeah. Yeah, I was really love. It was lovely for you to reach out, and uh, um, it's been really surprising how um, imagination sparking the magical realism has been for a lot of practitioners and people around the world, and even the literary um, the the literary uh, crew in magical realism have reached out to me and and was quite interested in that. So um, I think we've it's beginning to form a frame for us to look at things a bit differently yeah, which is needed and wonderful so yeah so thank you yeah. sonia thank you
Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening once again. Like I said earlier, if you found this podcast helpful, please share it with somebody you think might uh, as well find it helpful. And as always, please come find us on the social medias. There's a Radical Therapist Facebook page, uh, Radical Therapist on Instagram. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm not a fan of Twitter, but I'm on Twitter. (laughs) Just I don't know why. But uh, so come find us on all those things. And uh, and reach out. And if you ha- if you want to reach out to me, it's theradicaltherapist at gmail.com. I would be happy to converse with you. And pl- yeah, I guess that's it. And so as always, uh, I very much appreciate you listening. Thank you. Uh, I'm Dr. Chris Hoff, and this has been the Radical Therapist Podcast.